This is Casting Conscience, a podcast by Conscience and Residency for med students, residents, and other trainees of conscience. You're not crazy and you're not alone. Today, I'm joined by Dr. John Voltz. He's an OBGYN in Lafayette, Louisiana. He works at Auctioner Health, and he and I were co-residents, so it's a joy to be able to catch up with a great friend. And I hope we don't go off the rails too much about friendship, but I wouldn't be upset <laughs> if we did. So we're talking with Dr. Voltz about his journey to med school, through med school, to residency, and now in practice, making the decisions that he's made based on who he is at his core. So without further ado, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Buss Miller. <laughs> you can call this me Kara, great. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny because I was his senior and now I'm still in GME training and he's been in practice for five years. Tom's and a bit bad at attending. And, and th- that's still- right. He's now faculty and I'm still a fellow forever. And you can break your head about how that math works, but don't don't worry about it. So Johnny, tell us a little bit about what brought you to today. I guess specifically what brought you to who you are. Maybe before, because I think you you became the person who is Johnny Volts, who sought out the the story of your physician career. You became that person before you sought out that career. So I, I'd love to know more about that. Sure. So uh, it was definitely a tortuous to medicine. I was, I first graduated in civil engineering, but was staring at a computer screen all day, every day, not really enjoying that. But my roommate was a cop. So he'd come home and tell me all these cool stories. I said, well, let me go try that. So I volunteered doing that, loved it, started spending all my free time doing it and then decided, well, let me go ahead and go full-time doing it. So I did that for a few years, really enjoyed it, but I thought I could help in a more meaningful way as a physician. I enjoyed the one-on-one interactions and one-on-one problem solvings with people. And like I said, I thought I could help in a more meaningful way. So I applied to med school and was lucky enough to get in. Later, I was throughout uh, all of all of med school, I was thinking emergency medicine because it was very similar to law enforcement. But then I did my OB rotation. And then, of course, on labor and delivery, it's very similar to the ER. You bounce in between sick patients and you've got a crash C-section and then there's someone abrupting in another room and someone in triage is having a seizure. So, you know, there's all these different things that can certainly happen. So there was the excitement. Plus you get the OR, plus you get continuity in clinic. So those were the, the fun things that brought me towards OB. Certainly on a more meaningful level, it was great that I was able to help and serve these women in a more meaningful way. You know, certainly as a cop, I would take care of them by arresting the domestic abuser or, you know, things like that. But refocus, and obviously that's extremely important, but refocusing the attention back on the woman and saying, you know, how can we serve you now? You know, how can we take care of you in these horrible situations? That's great. You accidentally gave the sales pitch for OBGYN, but it happens to all the uh- <laughs> So yeah. that's why OB is such a great specialty, but we're, but conscience and residency is here to serve all uh, people choosing different specialties and not everyone loves that very irregular adrenaline rush that comes in obstetrics and gynecology. So that's, I think there's a lot in your story that people empathize with nowadays, like the desire to detach a little bit from a screen and to have meaningful interaction with fellow persons. Right. I'm seeing it all over the place. I see it in myself all the time. Like having actual interpersonal interactions over uh, meaningful things and meaningful events in our lives over sort of parasocial interactions um, over products that exist in code. Those are fine, but having the real thing is incredibly powerful. Agreed. Um, And I think too, you made a very interesting transition from law enforcement to medicine in a time where those two things are under a big microscope by our society, both of those career paths that you went from, you know, from one to the other. Sure. Yeah. I guess I left in 2012, 
13 law enforcement. So there was, it wasn't quite as much under the microscope as it is now, but yes, it was definitely gearing up for that. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I, uh, I want to know too, for our listeners who, who are making decisions about what they want to do in their practice based on their deeply held beliefs, what, what gets you up in the morning? What are your deeply held beliefs about, you know, what you do and don't do as, as part of what you think about medicine? kind of going back to law enforcement as a cop, you know, I would come and see all these broken families, broken homes. Most of the people I arrested had no father in the home. And it was just this, this plague that I couldn't figure out. Like, why is, why are there no fathers anywhere? And I I feel like, you know, after researching it a lot and being an OBGYN and everything, uh, I feel like contraception plays a big role there. I feel like there's three things that that can lead to. First of all, of course, the objectification of women, by just taking out the motherhood aspect of it and just making it all about sexual pleasure. And then when contraception inevitably fails, um, that either leads to single motherhood or abortion because the father is, has no interest in being a father and uh, will depart because he was just in it for superficial reasons in the first place. I see. That's a perspective that's pretty, you know, it's commonly held among a lot of people who speak with conscience in residency, but it's, it's very contentious outside that group. And, and I know, did you feel open talking about that with people as you journeyed through medical training? Yes and no. There was certainly a lot of hesitation. I would, you know, certainly gauge the audience when a question would come up about it. Yeah, it would depend on who who I was talking to, whether how in-depth I was going. Most of the times, if a patient was saying, hey, I'm wondering about the different types of birth control I can be on, I would certainly explain all the the medical pros and cons and the social pros and cons, but but I wouldn't go beyond that. I would just say, here's your options and here's what each one does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense for a resident to be factual. You know, right. even when you when you have personal beliefs that are governing your own decisions, which is completely justifiable. It's it's very sticky to wade into those beliefs and that kind of worldview, even if it is the truth. Yeah. And so has that changed now that you are not a trainee? Uh, yeah, I think it has. You know, I t- when someone comes in for their first appointment, all the patients know that that we don't prescribe birth control for the purposes of contraception. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they get there and say for a postpartum visit, so it's been, you know, many many visits since we initially had that conversation or since they had that conversation with someone, they'll say, okay, I'm ready to get on birth control. And I'll say, well, um, I don't prescribe that for the three reasons that I discussed earlier, but, and here's why, you know, there's, there's certainly good reason to avoid pregnancy. ACOG recommends 18 months between this baby and getting pregnant with your next baby, especially mm-hmm. since you just had a C-section, we had the wound to heal, et cetera, et cetera. What, what I recommend here is fertility awareness where you track your cycles and avoid intercourse on days when you're fertile. But there's, there's many options. And they say, well, I was really hoping to get on the pill. I'll say, you know, that just about every other doctor in the city will, will prescribe that for you. I'm happy to continue taking care of you. If that's what you, you want, yeah, you'll have to go to another doctor for that prescription. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to recognize the nuance between believing that putting off pregnancy is okay and the the decision not to oneself prescribe contraception. Because I think it, often it came up in our residency where people would say, oh my word, she just needs birth control. She needs to not be pregnant. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I, I agree with the second part of the sentence, I, yeah. <laughs> but, but how did we get the first part as a direct and as the only logical option to get to that conclusion? So I think that's something important that sometimes people who don't share your worldview might not grasp and co- sort of equate 
your decision making with kind of pronatalism, where you're just mm-hmm. like, no, we have to have all the babies forever and women have to be like birthing right. machines. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's very clear that you take a, a personal meaning focused on a person approach to your patients. That's wonderful. There's more coming with our guest today, but did you know you can support Conscience and Residency? We always need short and long-term volunteers, podcast guests, and other support. Get in touch with us at conscienceandresidency at gmail.com to find out more. Now back to today's show. So I'm so interested in the transition between being a trainee and what you were you were saying then and now, now what you're saying now. Do you have a concept of why that changed? Well, certainly as a resident, I may not be the final decision maker. And also if the patient decides she does want contraception in clinic, in the residency clinic, the attending can write that prescription. So say, you know, I discuss Mirena and Nexplanon and birth control pills and fertility awareness. And she says, okay, I'll just, I'll take the pill. I will go up to the attending and say, hey, this patient desires birth control pill. And just to remind you, I'm not able to prescribe that. And they'll say, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll write that for you. Yeah, I'm I'm jumping ahead of myself a bit because I was planning on talking about med school with you, but here we are talking about OBGYN <laughs> stuff. Sorry, I guess I should have mm-hmm. predicted this uh, of myself. So, so was that ever an issue for you? Did you experience friction in residency when you sort of reported to the attending and said, "Hey, the patient in such and such a room has this, wants this, and I don't uh, do this." <laughs> I guess it, uh, I guess first starting out, well, actually, you and the Krauses definitely paved the way, so it wasn't a new concept. So there were three senior residents, including Dr. Busmiller here, who were That's me. Uh, yes, <laughs> who did all this prior to me getting there. Um, so that many of the attendings were familiar with this concept of not being able to prescribe birth control. So they, the, so the attendings were familiar. So I didn't have to reinvent the wheel every time. But yes, a few times, you know, they would forget and like, what do you mean you can't write it? And I would say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those crazy Catholics. I can't, I can't write birth control. And they, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. And then same thing with tubal ligations. One of our attendings had forgotten this and was saying, no, I, I had said, I forgot, there was a planned tubal for the C-section. I had, I guess we had talked about it maybe a week in advance or something like that. And she was fine with me not doing the tubal. In the OR, I say, okay, and now the, the med student can assist you. And she said, wait, what do you mean? I want you to do the tubal. And I was like, I don't understand. She said, no, you need to be doing this. And then one of the scrub techs says, oh, no, he, remember, he doesn't do those. And she was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. You know, that's not what I intended. I just wanted you to get the experience and not let the med student get the experience. Mm. So she was looking for my interest and didn't remember our previous conversation and, you know, had just forgotten. And she just wanted to train me. Right. So, yes, I, every time every time there was friction, it was a misunderstanding and not true animosity. Yeah, that it, it was my experience as well, even though I was among the class above you who was sort of opening the door or paving the way or whatever metaphor. Uh, the one time I did, so I ended up scrubbing in a tubal, like a, a laparoscopic tubal that wasn't part of a C-section once because I was the only warm-bodied individual available to do that. And I did my, everything that a resident is sort of designed to do, you know, did the H&P, did the consents, got her to the OR, helped with the prep, helped with the, you know, or the positioning, helped with all that stuff and and then helped with the port placement because you can never do that enough times, in my opinion. And then right. and then the attending was aware of my stance the entire time, the entire day. We talked about it. I said, hey, I'm the only person here, but I, you know, I can't leave you uncovered. That's not part of what I think is right sure. in residency. Like it, it constantly in one and not dump work on other people. That's a, that's Just, a, always has to be a big priority. Yeah. So in in uh, in some part of the tubal, she was like, "Wait, can you do that? Can you hold this for me?" And I'm like, 
I don't know. And she's yeah. like, then don't do not. <laughs> um, and this person and I, this faculty member and I share nothing about these beliefs. And it meant so much to me that she was like, well, then stop. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, you know, I think so. It's a, It was a beautiful thing to be in a residency where people didn't provide any difficulty with these choices. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I, I skipped past some more questions I wanted to ask you. So I wanted to ask you about the, the process of getting into med school and being in med school. Did you have any difficulty with your faith, beliefs, and decisions in med school during your OB rotation in particular? Certainly in every other specialty, there were no conscience issues. In OB, there might have been similar, you know, retracting for a tubal or, you know, it, what is my level of cooperation and, um, you know, helping out with an e-shore. I remember that, you know, scrambling for, you know, they were saying, oh, we, we need, we need this tool. So I was going to another room and grabbing that. And, oh, we need this tool. So I really enjoyed being very helpful and being a good medical student. It can have the, the potential to um, be overly cooperative with, with something that you don't agree with. Yeah. Now that's actually a very technical area of Catholic moral theology for you, isn't it? Cooperation and evil. Sure. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? We don't have to get into the weeds too much, but how do you think about that day to day? For example, if you were to advise a med student making your exact same decisions not to do contraception, how would you advise them to go about their OBGYN residency? Yeah, I guess in the in the practical sense, I think that discussing truth is always fine. So, you know, discussing, just like with the patient who, who wants to know all of her options, you need to discuss next one on and Mirena, et cetera, et cetera. The, it's, and the consent process, I would imagine, of obtaining written consent, in my mind, is, is also appropriate. I'm going to interrupt you. Why is sure. the consent appropriate? Um, if you don't believe the process is right, why do you think that it's okay to talk about the process with a patient? Yeah. So informed consent, um, you know, talks about risks, benefits, and alternatives. So by talking about all the risks, you know, during this tubal ligation, we may damage your bowels. We may do this. We, there's all these surgical risks. Plus, you know, the high um, regret rate, you know, especially if you're below 30. So discussing all these risks are, are certainly good things that everyone should discuss. And what, the, what I sign the paper, I'm just saying I've discussed risks, benefits, alternatives, and this patient desires the surgery. Right. Um, it, so you're acknowledging par some part of reality that you've discussed true things with her um, and that she's moving forward with this idea. Right. Mm. Now that I did that in residency, currently as an attending, there have been C patients who have a planned C-section. She wants a tubal with me. And I, you know, let her know that's, that's, uh, that I don't do the tubals. If there happens to be another doctor in the hospital at the same time. And, and it, and then I became a coordinator for the tubal and texting mm. attendings and saying, you know, texting other people saying, Hey, would you be able to join me to do this tubal? And so that to me became overly cooperative. Mm. And so then I stopped doing all that. And I've just told them, you know, if, if you really want a tubal, I'm happy to, you know, transfer your prenatal care to someone else who can guarantee that that will occur. Mm. Whereas with me, most likely you won't be able to get your tubal. Interesting. Um, I hope you're enjoying our show today. You might be excited to hear we've updated our website listing resources for those who choose not to offer gender hormone therapy in pediatric patients, and we'll be talking about a few of them soon. Now, back to today's show. I, th I think that's a fascinating cusp of like whether you're participating or not. I went to a conference at one time, and for the listeners, you probably already know this, but I'm also Catholic like Johnny. And so I heard from some moral theologian that it would be um, a certain level of unacceptable cooperation and evil if you were to coordinate 
illicit things, right? Mm-hmm. To coordinate an abortion, to coordinate uh, tubal ligation, coordinate uh, IUD insertion for contraceptive purposes, whatever. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, you know, every senior resident, every Catholic OBGYN has been a senior GYN resident, means they've coordinated the cases and who goes to what cases. And that means they've lent aid in exactly the way you're talking about. And he's like, well, that's that's illicit. They're participating in the evil of the procedure. And I'm like, I don't know if you understand residency. Um. <laughs> yes, it, 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 certainly as a chief resident, what I would do for, you know, assigning patient or signing residents to tubules is a lot of times I would say this resident A is going to be in this endo case. Resident B is going to be in this other case that leaves resident C and look at resident C and they'd say, yeah, put me down for it. And so then. I, you know, that's certainly skirting the, but it's, it's their decision. They're saying, yes, put me down for that tubal. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. And it, and it does, it's not me saying you need to go to the tubal. It's them saying, yes, I will go to the tubal, mm, which is slightly so different, but similar to when the patient desires birth control in clinic. Mm-hmm. And I told them I am not able to write it. I would make sure not to say, can you please write this for the patient? I, and I realize that it's just word phrasing and, and, you know, maybe we're being overly, Scrupulous. The, scrupulous. Thank you. Uh, but I think it is important to, to make it known that, you know, or to do your best not to participate in things that, that you're not comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that goes for everyone, regardless of whether they're Catholic and have all this philosophy ink spilled over cooperation and evil or not. I think that's just interesting to consider, you know, what is the best for individuals to choose, you know, especially with coordination as a senior resident. I didn't take as a maybe as clean as an approach as you did. I just coordinated where people needed to go. I told people, mm-hmm. I told myself to go to a tubal once like, ah, so I didn't even follow the rule of tell people where to go based on their choices and beliefs, <laughs> but it all worked out. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, I think too, that there's a, there's a nice thing to bring out of what you you choose to do with your patients. You make it very clear from the beginning. I don't do X, Y, Z. I don't do tubals. I don't. So don't start prenatal care with me. And then nine months, later be kind of shocked and surprised Mm -hmm. here is what i am probably a dozen patients i've delivered who've now asked for birth control and they had they don't have any animosity there's oh yeah no my primary care doctor will give it to me so so there's no angry feelings that i've received about not doing birth control that's good to know and good Mm -hmm. for you I think that that speaks to rapport also. But I think, uh, sorry, what I was thinking about was there's been some media criticism of Catholic hospitals because there are many different flavors of Catholic hospitals, right? There's Catholic hospitals that are like uber, uber, uber Catholic, and you can't get anything that's against church teaching there. And then there's Catholic hospitals that are basically indistinguishable from other public hospitals and even county hospitals. So everyone's taking care of patients, but it's it's sort of not clear. The Catholic word is not a clear label of what is available or not. Mm-hmm. And the media has been somewhat critical of this. And I think that's kind of fair to say, you know, like a woman who wants a tubal or wants of this or wants of that is it's it's somewhat opaque to her, you know, whether she can do that there or not. And what's good, I think, about what you're doing is it's immune to that criticism. It's straightforward. And I think some people will comment on these news stories about Catholic hospitals and and tubals and things like that. Like, well, don't go to Burger King if you want Taco Bell. And what's good about what you're doing, and I think it's a good example to follow, is that if you want to be Taco Bell, 
just be very clear about being Taco Bell. Sure. Um, if you want to be NFP only, quote, quote, um, or, you know, not prescribe contraception and do tubules or do abortions, or even just to be pro-life and not do abortions, just be very honest about that. It's just not something right. to be ashamed about. You, you're talking about the media criticism. I feel a lot of it is unfair, though, um, you know, saying that ectopics can't be treated and there, there's all sorts of misinformation from mainstream media about about this. Uh, and it's very irritating. But but yeah, like you said, there, there is some some truth to it in the uh, cloudy nature of, of some aspects. Yeah, I was thinking of pre-Dobbs uh, news. Um, oh, sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, since since Dobbs, there's been a lot of uh, difficulty communicating about whether any pregnancy can be ended in any way at at Catholic <laughs> hospitals. And it's like, yes, yes, we can, we can complete a pre-viable induction. Yes. We can take care of an ectopic pregnancy. Yes. We can complete a miscarriage like, right. Oh dear. Um, but we're going to leave that aside for now <laughs> as it's a little bit of a rabbit trail off of our uh, sure. focus Absolutely. on you. There's more coming with our guest today, but you may want to know that Conscience in Residency offers free coaching through your interview season if you're entering a field and plan on making choices based on your conscience that might pose challenges in the field. To find out more, email conscienceinresidency at gmail.com. Now, back to today's show. And we're going to go back to to residency for you. So one thing I wanted to highlight a little bit more, because this isn't a podcast solely focused on how to be a good physician or how to be a family member or a spouse, but I wanted you, since you have the unique ability to comment on that among our previous podcast guests, who none of whom were married so far, stand by listeners for, for more people in more walks of life. But can you tell me about how did you balance residency and family life when residency was a bit stressful match given your choices was a bit stressful. How did all this work out with your spouse and children? Tell us about your spouse and children. Maybe first yeah. of all, sorry about yeah. that. No. So Shelly, Shelly's my wife. We met in 2009, got married in 2012. And then we started med school in 2014. She was, and we have five children. We had two kids prior to med school and certainly with the decision to go to med school, that, that, I guess, goes back to the family life and why I went to med school. I didn't talk about this in the interviews for, for med school, but a portion of the reason why I chose medicine was for the finances. I, I love being a cop. Shelly hated her job at the time as a, as a teacher. So I said, okay, you know, we, I want you to love your job like I, like, well, like I love my job. And she said, well, I think I really want to be a stay-at-home mom. So, all right, let's make it happen. So just looking at finances, I could go back to being an engineer then I'd be staring at a computer screen. Whereas as a physician, I could still do the one-on-one interactions, still do one-on-one problem solving, but just be able to support a family of a, a larger family. So that's what we decided on. She knew she was going to be a single mom for the next seven to you know nine years. And she's taken that and run with it. So she's been a mom and been done homeschooling and she's done great with all the kiddos. So yeah, with med school and with residency, certainly there were I guess the hours were probably longer in residency, but I enjoyed it a lot more. Mm. Whereas med school, at least the first two years, I hated it. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hang on. For the listeners who yeah, are yeah. in med school, that's always an extremely good sign if you hate the first two years of med school. And I know that sounds strange, but that means if you love, if you hate the first two years and begin to love the last two years, you've chosen the right career. You love clinical work. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, sorry, back to your story. The first two years was 
a disaster. I was like, well, I've squandered all my savings and, you know, I'm, I'm not doing well in mid school or, you know, I'm just hating everything. But yes, you know, once I started seeing patients, everything got better again. So Shelly was there through everything. And yeah, she takes care of the kids. I take care of work in the house. So it's definitely a separation of powers and we each checks do our and job. balances. Right, right. So definitely, yeah, having her take care of the kids full time while I take care of work full time has has been working out real well. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think it's beautiful that you can do in your personal life the thing that you think is missing from so many other lives, like fatherhood and providing, Mm -hmm. which is sort of your one man solution to the problems that you see. So you walk the walk. That's really beautiful. Is there anything else that you think that would be good for the listeners to know, most of whom are are in med school or or in residency and making pretty controversial decisions in our culture today? No, I mean, I think, you know, continue exploring every specialty. I was dead set on ER for the first three-ish years and then did OB and then that threw my plan off significantly. But yeah, just be open to every specialty. You may fall in love with psychiatry or OB or, you know, who knows what your specialty may be. They explore the ethical aspects of everything. Certainly more and more, every specialty has ethical aspects, you know, even Mm -hmm. family medicine with end of life care and family medicine certainly has contraception and things like that. So absolutely. I think that's a very important last message to leave because I think a lot of people are scared away from certain specialties because they know I have this personal belief. It's not reconcilable with the way that this specialty works in the modern day. So I'm not, I can't do it. Yeah. So I was thinking that about OB. I was like, oh, I can't, I don't think I can even be a Catholic OB. And and then I was learning, oh, I, there's a lot of Catholic OBs. You know, there's all sorts of pro-life OBGYNs in Louisiana, thankfully at the time that, it, you know, there weren't any, there weren't that many abortions going on, at least in the area. So it was most of the, the OBGYNs were pro-life. So I said, oh, okay, you know, I can, I can at least be on board with that. And then I started asking around, are there any that are, that don't write birth control and so then they would refer me to, you know, these lists of names and say, you know, look up these people. And and so I did. And I ended up joining um, one Dr. Cudahy here in Lafayette, who I'd reached out to in med school to kind of just explore how feasible all this was. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic message because I, especially in college and in med school, I felt like, oh, there are all these old Catholic OBs. They're all in like their 40s and 50s and 60s. And they just did this at a time when things were so much easier. There's no way I could do this. But I just kept somewhat pigheadedly trying and it worked out. And now I I do feel that the next generation, so I'm nearly 10 years out of med school now, both of us are nearing a decade. And the environment now I think is stickier than it was when we graduated. But I don't feel that we should make a different decision. We can continue to say, keep going forward. You can do this. We're still here. You will still have clientele. Uh, You will be in demand. You will be busy. Have you found that true? Have you been busy? I've been very busy. Yeah. I, um, That's good. Certainly it, my partner takes primarily private insurance and only has maybe 10 or 20% Medicaid, whereas I'm about 95% Medicaid right now. So I think going to a community that has a need for an OBGYN in general is important. Um, but also in South Louisiana, there's plenty of Catholics. So there's a, a large, so maybe 15% of my patients seek come to me because we're Catholic, but mm-hmm. the vast majority are just coming to get an OBGYN. That makes sense. Yeah. I think to people who are considering OB, remember there's going to be an OB shortage. So we need your help and the profession can't afford to discriminate against you based on certain things that you won't do. You're so much more than what you say no to. 
you're a whole human person. Listen to all that Dr. Volz is. He's so much more than just the things he says no to. With that, we got to wrap up. Thank you for listening. This has been Casting Conscience, a podcast of conscience and residency for trainees and other friends who are making decisions based on their consciences. Uh, we've been joined by Dr. John Volz. He's an OBGYN in Lafayette, Louisiana, and has been speaking with us about what drew him to medicine in particular, what drives him as a person, and how that fits with the decisions that he's made in his practice, which has flourished since making it through not only med school, but residency. Thank you so much and join us again next time for another episode learning further about the challenges in residency and after residency when you declare decisions like this when we have our next guest. Mm-hmm.